0: Our New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 4 verses 5 through 22. The next day their rulers, elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, "By what power or by what name did you do this?" Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, What will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them, we cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more of anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say, of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: So some... Days or weeks are just those kind of days or weeks, if you know what I mean. This uh, this Sunday was circled on the calendar for a long time as one where um, we were going to be short-handed at the church because a lot of our staff vacations were all kind of lining up. Where it's like, oh, we're all going to be away on this one Sunday. So Maddie, our intern, is in Michigan. She's in a wedding. It was in a wedding this weekend, and we've got Olivia, our administrators, have been on vacation. Liz is on vacation. So it's it's one of those Sundays where you see it coming, and you're like, all right. I got this. I'll just, I'll just be a one-man show. I can, I can do this. And this week, my uncle passed away last week, and so my family ended up going to Georgia on Monday, and we we're there from Monday through Wednesday. Then we came back. We closed on a house on Friday that's a fixer-upper that we need to move into, and then my kids tested positive for COVID two days ago. And so it's one of those days where you're like, oh, man. Lord, help me. I need your presence now. And you add to that just like all that's going on in the world that weighs upon us. And um, so that's here I am. I'm in your midst today. I know you have going on with you whatever's going on with you. We all are living lives that are caught up in the various whirlwinds. We are all carrying the various burdens that we carry. We are all um, coming into this space uh, having lived very, very different weeks and many of us having lived Hard weeks or exciting weeks or complicated weeks. And so it is in that spirit of being together with one another, bringing our whole selves into this time with God, that I ask you now to uh, join me in prayer. Let's ask God to, to meet us and help us as we sit with his scriptures. Our Father in heaven, we, we need you. We, uh, we are limited human beings, and yet you have made us in your image You have made us alive together with your son, Jesus, and have called us to be your children. You have put your spirit in us and raised us with Christ to new life and called us forward to live into the world in the way of Christ, to live with you and to live in love toward one another, toward our neighbors. So as we sit with your scriptures, as we consider these words, would you be with us By your spirit, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds, uh, not only to, to hear your voice, but to receive you, to really surrender ourselves to you, that we may be transformed into the likeness of Jesus more and more and know more of the joy that is in you. So we ask your blessing upon us now through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'm going to keep this really short and sweet today um, because I've never tried preaching into a mask, and I don't think I like it. But this is a really uh, significant moment in the story of Acts that we've come to because what happens here is we get to see just what happens when the story of Jesus intersects with the status quo of the religious establishment, and it doesn't go well. So what we see here is uh, Peter and the other disciples, right? They've, just, they've been coming to the temple. They've been teaching. They've been doing things. And there's a man who every day would be sitting outside the temple because the people would carry him there. The, the, the people who lived around the temple would carry him to the beautiful gate, which is one of the gates of the temple complex. And they would put him there, and he would ask for money. He would ask for alms to help him. He couldn't walk. Uh, He was a, a crippled person. He was a handicapped person. And so the people would carry him there and he would ask for money. And then one day the disciples are coming by and he asks them for money. And Peter says to him, Silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he does. He's healed by this miracle. And everybody goes crazy celebrating it because it's this beautiful moment. And then Peter and the disciples go on as they do. And they go up to the place in the temple called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico. And they begin talking more and more and teaching more and more, as we've seen in recent weeks, making disciples as Jesus had been doing with them. And the Lord keeps adding to the number of the people. And at this time, they're growing to be about 5,000. So we've gone in just a couple of days from 120 followers to 3,000 and now to 5,000. And the people in charge are starting to get concerned. They're starting to get concerned. They're like, this is too disruptive. But the challenge is they can tell that it's good and they can tell that it's true. The problem is that it's just too disruptive of the status quo. And so they want them to stop. And it raises a really important question for us, I think, around our loyalties and around our openness to what God would do in and among us and in the world. So I invite you to consider a question with me, maybe a couple of questions. The first is just simply this. What is your primary allegiance in your life? Like when things are pitted against one another, like what is the end-all be-all? Like what are you most committed to over everything else? And then a follow-up question. If we're taking Jesus seriously, how might Jesus and the story of the gospel actually invite us into a place of reordering our allegiances? See, that's what's happening in this moment as the disciples are talking with the religious authorities. They've had a reordering of allegiances. And basically what they're saying is we serve Jesus who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one God has raised up from the dead. He's the one who's become this cornerstone upon whom God is building the whole family of God now. We serve him. Every other authority is subordinate to him it's not out of disrespect for the, for the religious leaders. It is out of supreme respect for Jesus that they say, we can't stop telling the story. And not only can we not stop telling the story, like we can't give you a watered down version of the story because to domesticate the gospel is to change it. Because the story as it is, is an otherworldly, kind of unbelievable, remarkable story that what God has done is actually stepped into human history as one of us, lived a life of love in the earth, been killed for that, buried, was dead, and then God raised him from the dead, never to die again, and has enthroned him in the heavens to send the Spirit of God to rule over all of the world. It's like, an, it's, like, it's like sci-fi, right? It's, like, it's, like a, it's an otherworldly kind of story. It's enormous. It's an enormous story, and it's about the restoration of everything. It's about God being so committed to his promise to make all things new that he would go to those lengths to do it. And the story of Jesus is simply that God has done that and that God is doing today more of the making all things new. But the religious leaders are bothered by this because that big old story doesn't fit in the small container of their religion. And so they're disrupted by what the disciples are doing and saying, and they want them to stop. The people in power are saying, that this is, you've gone too far, this is just too much. Their big problem, though, is that they can recognize the goodness of it. It's not that they're seeing this as something evil or bad, they're seeing people healed. And they're seeing that the crowds are seeing it as well and being blessed by it. And so they can recognize there's goodness here, there's truth here. It's just too disruptive. And so they find themselves at odds with the followers of Jesus. And you've got the establishment, the religion, kind of like capital R religion, and you've got the movement, the way, the people who are following Jesus in the spirit, who are participating with God in this new era, this new wave of what God is doing in the world. And you see a a divide begin to grow between religion and Jesus, if you will. Um, Not in the sense of like, religion is bad or whatever. We, of course, we're religious people. We, we celebrate that. But what we're saying is what God has done in Jesus is he's, he's planted in the earth this new life in his spirit. And religion, this human-made apparatus that we build up around that new life in God, it can either be helpful or it can be a hindrance to our participation in what God is doing in the world, right? And so what we want is the kind of religious life that cultivates more of getting involved with God and what God is doing. And that's what the problem is here is Peter and the other apostles. They're doing that. They're, they're, they're formulating a new way of religious life that's actually following the lead of the Spirit and actually participating in the way of Jesus where the religious establishment is following the status quo. And inertia rules. My mask is causing ringing because the timbre of my voice is different all of a sudden. So the question for us as we think about how do we enter this story and pull it toward our lives is just this, I think. How might your um, love for, your comfort in, or how might your tolerance of the status quo, how might your relationship to the status quo be getting in the way of your getting involved with God? Another way to ask it what in your life would need to change for you to get more of God and what God is doing in your life and in the world? What might God be calling you to give up? Something you reach for, maybe to soothe yourself, to find security, to advance your life. What's what's something you might tend to reach for that instead God might be calling you to say, hey, instead of reaching for that, reach for me? Or what's something, some feature of your life? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a, a practice. Maybe it's a place that you tend to be. Maybe it's, a, um, maybe it's, it's something about the way you do your work. What's, what's something about a, a way you've built your environment where you get security from it? Where if it were disrupted, you would feel really uneasy. But you know that it needs to be disrupted for you to get more involved with God. I think these are the kinds of surgical questions that that a text like this begins to raise for us because we live into the world as human beings who do what human beings do. We try to survive. We're hardwired for that, right? We, we try to protect ourselves, we defend ourselves, we try to promote ourselves, we try to build security, we try to attain love, we try to attain wealth, whatever it is, we, we go to the things we go to to try to build a life that works, to try to secure a future that makes us not freaked out about life in the present. And so we do these things, and many have identified you know, money, sex, and power as the three big idols of our age, the things that we reach for, the gods we trust to build the life that we want for ourselves. And if you think about your own life, you might identify with one of those maybe, or all three. But the question for us around loyalties is simply, where does your loyalty lie and what What might it look like for our loyalties and our allegiances, our affections, to be reordered now because of the story of Jesus? You see, if you think about the way an idol works in our lives, take money. That's such an easy one because we're Americans. We, for the most part, have it uh, relative to other people in the world. Um, And we have built a whole society around getting more of it and trusting it for our well-being, right? Right. But here's the thing about how idols work. We go to them because we want to be the boss and we want the idol to work for us, right? We go get money because we think money will work for us to make our life work. But anyone who leans into an idol comes to know sooner than later that the servant quickly becomes the master. You press this thing into your service because you think it'll do your bidding, and you end up spending your whole life doing its bidding, right? This is how this works. It works the same way with love. It works the same way with power, with reputation, whatever. Whatever it is you're leaning into for the good life, you, you go to it because you want it to serve you, and then what happens is you end up spending your whole life serving it. But then along comes Jesus, and along comes the story of the gospel, where there's this higher authority, there's this better future, there's this one, there's this future of all things being made new that you and I could never possibly do. But God has done it in Christ, and he's calling us to get involved with him in sharing that with the world. And that looks like not only talking about it, but it looks like actually doing things differently where we're banking on the future God has promised rather than the future we hope to build, right? getting involved with the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing. And a reordering of our loyalties, a reordering of our loves, a reordering of our allegiances becomes this transformative process by which God builds a new kind of people in the world, enlivened by his Spirit to go and be the conduit of God's blessing. The builders building on the cornerstone as God works to make all things new. Where do your loyalties lie? How might your relationship to the status quo be getting in the way of your getting involved with God? And what would it look like for you to turn, instead of reaching for those things, to reach instead for God? It all begins, I think, the desire to do that begins with recognizing in Jesus the reality of the heart of God. That who God is, is the God whose loyalty lies with you. God is committed to you, to this world, to humanity, to creation. God so loves this world and us that he sent his own son to come into it, to do all of these things, to die under the weight of our tragedy, our selfishness, all the things human beings do against one another. To die under the weight of that, to rise from it, and then to carry us with him on his coattails into the future that he alone can make, is making, and has secured for us. His loyalty lies with you. And in Christ, the invitation is to turn, to let our loyalty begin to reside in him and to see all of our lives remade, as our allegiances are reformed in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the window into our life that this text gives us, I think, as we see the apostles working this out in real time and we see God blessing them. We see the crowd seeing it. We see the religious establishment getting upset with it. We don't want the disruption, but that's exactly what God brings. And through that rupture, God brings the great repair that is making all things new. We need it. The world needs it. And so my hope and prayer for us today is that we, resurrection, as a community and as individuals here, would actually open ourselves up to God and invite the disruption that we might be reordered, our allegiances, our loves, so that we would bear more fully the image of Christ for our own sake and for the sake of the world, all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we give you thanks for your marvelous wisdom and love. We thank you for the story of Christ that is beautiful beyond our comprehension um, and impossible to domesticate. You're you're up to world-remaking kinds of drama, and you've done it through the cross of Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, would you forgive us for the ways that we try to fit you into the edges of our lives as if you were some small ornament that we add on to our pre-existing life, as opposed to the great King of the universe who is remaking everything. God, we ask you now humbly to break us, to remake us, and to enliven us by your Spirit, that we may share more of your life and joy with you, with one another, and with our neighbors. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.